0: listening to Law & Gospel on this Monday, August the 30th, in the year of our Lord 2021. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and on Mondays we take a look at a reading from the following Sunday, which will be the 15th Sunday after Pentecost, September the 5th, 2021. Readings are from Isaiah 35, James chapter 2 and Mark 7. But we're not going to begin with any of those readings. We're going to begin with a reading from Luke chapter 7. And you'll see why, because it's going to be explained a little bit by our Old Testament reading from Isaiah 35. So, taking a look at Luke chapter 7, verse 18, and we're talking about the disciples of John the baptizer. So the disciples of John were reporting to John all the things about Jesus. And John, verse 19, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Now, scholars question whether John is also asking that question or whether he's just using the question so the disciples come to know that Jesus is the one. Uh, Either way, those two disciples go to Jesus and they say to him, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Now, recall, John the Baptizer had even characterized Jesus as the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. So, John perhaps is helping the disciples see who Jesus truly is. Now, in the hour that they had come, Jesus had healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. So that was Jesus' answer. Jesus rarely gave answers to questions without somehow quoting the Old Testament because that's where he had learned not only about his future, but also his death. Remember Psalm 22, pierced in hands and feet. Isaiah, he's going to be whipped and our sins are going to be laid on him. So there's no doubt the Old Testament was Jesus' real understanding of his future. So when he says to the disciples of John the baptizer, well, these things are happening, go and tell John, where did he learn this from? He learned it, from the Old Testament reading from Isaiah chapter 35, beginning with verse 4. So let's take a look at that. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Now, those who have an anxious heart, there can be a number of reasons for their anxiety. But the first one is their recognition that they are sinners and that they want to go to heaven, but there's no way they can do it by their works. And so they're anxious about this. God tells them, no, be strong and fear not. You see, that's one of the main gifts from Jesus Christ is the ability to no longer fear. So, what does the text say? Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Now, that doesn't seem to make sense. If he comes with vengeance, is that going to be against us? No is against the one who is causing our anxiety, and that is Satan himself. The Bible makes clear that Jesus became incarnate to destroy the works of Satan, and so he will come with vengeance against Satan. He will come and save you. Now, that word save means that you will be saved from eternal damnation. How does that come about from a law and gospel point of view? Not because of your works, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So, Isaiah 35 begins to give a description of how we know that Jesus is going to be the Messiah. Verse 5 then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. And, of course, we have that wonderful passage uh, from chapter 9 of John where Jesus heals a man born blind. Now, he confesses that Jesus is the Christ. Is kicked out of the synagogue. Even his parents don't want to say that they know him because of fear of the Jews. So, he, therefore, is healed of his blindness by Jesus. And the ears of the deaf unstopped. In in fact, this occurs in our gospel for today. In Mark 7, verse 32. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. So Jesus took that person aside from the crowd privately. He put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, "Ephphatha." That is, be opened. And his ears were open, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. Now, you wonder why Jesus did this privately. Well, the next verse 36 of Mark 7. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. And that's exactly what Isaiah 35 is saying. Now, some people, they question, why would Jesus not want that to be told to everyone? Because he realized that the more his reputation of healing and being the Messiah became known, the closer he would come to death. And therefore, he waited for the fullness of time and therefore did not want to give his enemies any motivation to put him to death prior to the time that the Father had set on the cross. But returning back to Isaiah 35, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Well, we just saw how he had released the tongue of the mute. What's this about the lame man leaping like a deer? Well, there was that incident were friends of an individual who could not walk they brought him to jesus but the people were so crowded in the house they were in that the men opened up the roof and let the man down through the roof to jesus and jesus healed him and he could walk so there is another fulfillment that the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. It says, for waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Now here we're talking metaphorical language because for waters to break forth in the desert, uh, in the wilderness and streams in the desert, what does that remind you of? It reminds you of the people of Israel when they had left the promised land or left Egypt to go to the promised land. They were thirsty. They were hungry. So what did God do? Even though they were kind of blaming God for their predicament, God did not punish them. But he had Moses hit a rock, and water gushed out sufficient to assuage the thirst of the people in the wilderness. So even though you're in the wilderness, even though you're in the desert, there are streams of water. Now, what would that apply to us? How can you forget about baptism? Water is used by God for two purposes. The one is to destroy evil, and the other is to save. The destruction of evil by water occurred, first of all, at the drowning of the people in Noah's day, where the whole world was inundated by the flood, and only those on the ark were saved because of their unbelief. Now, Jesus visited them after his resurrection, where he descended into hell to proclaim victory over the evil individuals. So, that's one way water was used to destroy evil. Uh, The other way, of course, is when the people of Israel were fleeing Egypt And the Egyptians were chasing them. And the Red Sea opened up, allowed the people to cross over it. And then they saw that the Egyptians were coming after them also through the opening of the Red Sea. And what God did, he allowed the Red Sea to close, drowning the army of Pharaoh. So there is no doubt two occasions when God uses water to destroy evil, but he also uses water to save us. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Just simply read Romans chapter 6 to see the wonderful benefits that baptism gives us. And baptism is the application of water in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Baptism is called a sacrament. And why is it a sacrament? Because a sacrament is a holy work of God, not of man. Yes, I as a pastor may take even an infant hold it over the baptismal font, apply water in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but it is God who's doing all the activity. I, as a pastor, have no power to forgive sins, but I have the authority that God has given me as an ordained pastor to forgive the sins of those who are penitent. That's why we always, in the absolution, begins, Upon this your confession, I, by virtue of my office, as a called and ordained servant of the word, announce the forgiveness of sins in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ. That means Jesus is using my voice, In order to share with you the forgiveness that he is giving. The text continues in verse 7 The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. See, what we're talking about here is the benefits of the new covenant. New Covenant. What's the New Covenant? Well, the word covenant is also translated as testament. And so a lot of times when we talk about the Old and the New Testament, people are thinking we're talking about the books of the Bible. There's an easy way to remember how many books are in each testament. You add up the word old, that's three, Testament, nine. Put the two together, you get 39. That's the number of Old Testament books. The New Testament, you add three, new. The word Testament, nine, and multiply it. Three times nine is 27. And that way you get the number of books in the New Testament. Having said that, the word Testament in the bible is not used to describe the books of the bible another word for testament is covenant and what is talking about is some of the greatest news the world has ever heard that god made two covenants or two agreements with his people the one was in the old testament where in exodus the animals are sacrificed, and the people say, we will obey all of this. And then shortly thereafter, they're what? Making a golden calf. So much for their obedience. The book of Hebrews makes it very clear that Jesus brings a new covenant or New Testament. Uh, The way we sometimes use that, when someone dies, you will often read their last will and testament. That is where they promise to give their possessions to specific people. Now, this new covenant changes everything. And Isaiah gives a good example that... In the new covenant, waters break forth in the wilderness, streams in the desert, the burning sand becomes a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. There is a new reality, and the greatest of this reality takes care of the anxious heart that is spoken of in verse 4. What is that anxious heart? Am I going to be saved? because I am a sinner. And the anxious heart hears the good news of the new covenant. It's found in Jeremiah, repeated in Hebrews, where it says very clearly, your sins will be forgiven. I will no longer remember them. Now, God is omniscient. So, obviously, he can't forget anything. But what does he mean, I will no longer remember them? We use that word. Uh, For example, and I've said this before, my wife has a birthday, and nothing happens on that day. And the next day, she comes to me and says, did you remember what yesterday was? It was my birthday. And I said, oh, no, I had it on my mind all day long. That's not what she means by remember. She, she uses the word remember as a way of saying, what present did you get me? And the fact that I didn't give her a present means that I had forgotten. So I may have had it in my mind, but I did not remember it. When God says he no longer remembers your sin, you don't want him to remember your sin. Because if he remembers your sin, then you receive what you deserve. That's justice. You do not want to get God's justice, getting what you deserve. As we confess in our liturgy, we deserve nothing but temporal And eternal punishment. Instead, and we've talked about this quite a bit with Mark Smith, we look to his mercy and his grace. What's the difference between justice, mercy, and grace? Justice is getting what you deserve, which every religion in the world expects. They have no understanding of mercy and grace as does christianity mercy means that god does not give you what you deserve and grace means that he gives you what you do not deserve namely the forgiveness of sins and eternal life that is a huge difference in understanding so When the disciples of John the Baptizer go to Jesus asking him, well, are you the one that we're waiting for, or is there someone else? What Jesus does, he tells them, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. And then Jesus quotes from Isaiah 35. He says, The blind receive their sight, the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. Now, Jesus did raise people from the dead, the most famous being, of course, Lazarus. Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha, had died. Jesus came and said, Lazarus, come forth. And he came out of the tomb alive after three days, which was the official time of death. So these activities of Jesus are used by Jesus to portray himself as the Savior promise from the Old Testament, who will be coming. And those promises occur all the way at the beginning of Genesis in 315, where God is talking to the serpent, Satan, and tells him that through the seed of Eve will come the Savior. And that Savior will have people forgiven their sins. Part of salvation is being restored to the existence of Adam and Eve prior to their fall into sin. And that's why the blind eyes shall be open, the ears of the deaf unstopped, the lame will leap like a deer, the tongue of the mute will sing for joy, people will be raised from the dead. And that now includes you who believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that on the day of judgment, your body will be raised from the dead to join with your spirit already in heaven. That's the importance of Isaiah 35 as Jesus uses it to talk about his identity and ministry. On tomorrow's Law and Gospel, the hymn selected for this 15th Sunday after Pentecost is Praise the Almighty, My Soul Adore Him. We'll take a look at that hymn with Mark Smith and show the Law and Gospel. Until then...